Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Chris Odegaard with us today. And Chris is with theprolificinvestor.com. And what we're going to be talking about today is controlling your finances with alternative investments. So that a lot of people, you know, most people will say invest in some derivation of S&P 500 or publicly traded markets, some derivation of publicly traded bond markets with their 401ks. They'll follow kind of traditional financial planning advice, which if any of you have listened to me or know me, I believe that a lot of it's BS. But what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, you know, you want to have an equity uh, allocation and you want to have a bond allocation, and then you'll be diversified so that you'll be less subject to market disruptions, et cetera, et cetera. There's a couple of weaknesses with this. Number one is that there's an assumption that every time prices go down, that they'll come back, which is not always true because, you know, and if you need evidence of this, go take a look at the price chart of the Nikkei in Japan, and you will notice that the current price is roughly two thirds of the high. And that was in 1989, which is a long time ago, which is almost 40 years ago, and it still hasn't recovered. And then another one is that inflation is real. And so like, for example, if you had a bond allocation that was supposedly safe during the, you know, at the time of this recording, the early 2020 market disruption, what you found was that not only were your stocks going down, but your bonds were also going down too, because interest rates were going up. And so now you end up having a double whammy. And a lot of people are like, wait a second, I thought this was supposed to help me be more safe. I think those are the objective problems. Now, Here's the thing that I think is the really big problem with semi-passive investing in the financial markets. And that is that when you accumulate wealth in a way that you can't or don't directly control, what happens is as you build wealth, you become more risk averse. And so then when you become risk averse, you become opportunity averse. And so then eventually you get to the point where you're afraid to capitalize on any opportunity. And that i personally believe is what really fuels people's mental degradation is when they become obsessed with keeping things the way they are because they're afraid they can't rebuild it. And so at least in my view, I think one of the things that's really important about looking at things like controlling your finances, alternative investments, is being able to implement control on the way that you make and grow your money so that you can do so in a repeatable manner and don't need to be terrified of change. All right, Chris, that was an enormous monologue. I apologize for, I, I apologize. You know, I almost sound like a James Bond villain, but anyway, please introduce yourself and let's take us away. Sure. Well, I hate to contradict the host, but I got to tell you one thing. It's the prolificinvestor.net. Oh, darn it. I apologize. So so anyway, no big deal. Yeah, I'm Chris Odegaard. You know, today I'm known as the prolific investor, but probably like a lot of your audience, I was a conventional investor for many, many Uh years. I was on what I call the 401k highway to mediocrity and, you know, just 
publicly traded stocks. And that's what I did. And then in my mid four, and, and that works about what is, it was going about as well as it does, yeah. you know, for anybody. It actually works for people with really high incomes because they've got so much extra money that they can make that system yeah. work. But the average American, you know, isn't making $250,000 a year. Correct. So when they've only got $3,000 above and beyond their expenses to invest, you know, in mutual fund, you don't get anywhere very fast. Yeah, it's going to take a really, I mean, you know, yeah. particularly with fees, you know, because you also have to remember that, you know, now if you're doing, say, like Vanguard funds, their fees are pretty low. But if you're going through traditional mutual funds or financial advisory, right. you're going to have asset management fees yeah. on top of that. So you figure whatever you make, peel off somewhere between three quarters and one and a half points for all your advisory fees. You know, maybe the fees right. are lower now, but you know, it used to be that especially people who were investing in bonds, by the time you took off the advisory fees, they weren't making all that much. Yeah. Well, you know, we're getting a little off track, but you know, the over the history of the S&P 500, the average return to equity investors has been somewhere around nine point something percent. Yeah. And so that's before taxes and before inflation, inflation. in today's yes. environment. So when you add those two things on, you're not even maintaining your buying power. So you're barely yeah. just, you know, getting your head above water. And, you know, so anyway, getting back to in, in my mid 40s, I went through what I fondly refer to as a huge illiquidity event where I lost 55% of my assets. My event happened to be a divorce. But yeah, mid 40s, 55% gone, thousands of dollars a month in cash flow gone for a limited period of time, thank goodness. And so coincidentally, around that time, somebody handed me a little purple book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And I read that book and, you know, I was like, you know, the, the clouds parted and the sun came out and I went, wow, there's a completely different way to invest. And mm -hmm. that's not my term. It's called alternative investments. That's kind of everything that's not publicly traded. So yeah. in the conventional side, you got stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And then alternatives are everything else, every subclass of real estate, yeah. precious metals, you know, commodities, all that kind of stuff. And so in nine short years, I made up that 55% and multiplied it many yeah. times over, quit my corporate job, and I never have to work again if I don't want to. And I never would have been able to do that yeah. if I'd have stayed on the 401k highway to mediocrity. So that's my story yeah. and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I think, you know, this is one of the things that that's really important to understand, right? A lot of people are familiar with the phrase, right? You know, high risk, high reward. And so, but the thing that that's true, right? You know, gen generally speaking, you know, your probability for returns does accompany risk. But what a lot of people don't really think about is how much risk is inherent in just doing things, quote, the normal way. So like, for example, say in 2009, if your, your investments go down 45%, well, as long as everybody else's investments go down 45%, people just say, oh, well, that's just normal. That happened to everybody. But like, for example, you know, on the other hand, you know, say you went on some kind of limited partnership and it ended up going belly up and you lost hundred grand. And somebody could say, well, you know, you could have just put your money in a mutual fund and you might've only lost like four or 5%. You know, I think that a lot of the aversion doesn't come so much from the risk because there is risk in the traditional market, it comes from going against the tide and losing that camaraderie with other people when you're going through either gains or losses at the same time. At least that's my view. Well, it's interesting. So conventional investors that talk to me, they have a double standard about yeah. their questions. So they'll say, Chris, you know, your stuff sounds risky, number one. And two, is it guaranteed? 
Well, I'm like, well, your investments, your mutual fund, the stocks, bonds, et cetera, aren't guaranteed. According to the SEC, the only thing that's guaranteed are U.S. government bonds. So your conventional investments aren't guaranteed and neither are my alternatives. So stop asking me, you know, stupid questions, right? But, well, you know? Besides which, if it was guaranteed, that is a surefire way of knowing it's a Ponzi scheme. Well, there you go. And then yeah. the other thing is they say, well, it's funny because what we call the conventional stuff or the normal path is the stock market, which has been around, you know, I guess in the modern age since the early 1900s, right? Yes. And the yeah. thing that God invented, land and real estate, which has been around for thousands of years, we call that alternatives. And so when I watch the, you know, the CNN and the news coverage of the, the ticker tape and all the yeah. changing values, it doesn't look too much different to me than a sports book out in Las Vegas. You know, you know, I look at my investments, whether it be a, a portfolio of ATM machines or self-storage or multifamily, and all through before COVID, during COVID, they have just hummed along and continued to increase in yeah. value and produce cash flow. And I don't even think about it. You know, it, it just works. Yeah. Well, and in the case of alternatives, particularly real estate as an alternative, the thing that I see as its principal and most counterintuitive attribute is the ability for it to carry fixed rate debt because fixed rate debt is the best inflation hedge that has ever been invented. Because, you know, like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, hey, you know, well, okay, so the people who bought their house in like 1970 or whatever, I think when the, I think average price for a house in the US was like $20,000 or something. And it was, you know, like 7% mortgage. So, you know, in 2002, when the mortgage ran out, I think they were paying like 150 bucks a month or something like that, just a cartoonishly low number. And so, you know, the thing is, what a lot of people will say, you know, a lot of people will look at, say, how real estate appreciates over time. And, you know, but the thing is, right, it'll cycle up, it'll cycle down. Generally speaking, on average, real estate tracks inflation. The thing that makes real estate perform is when you have it financed with fixed rate debt and you're producing cash flow that can carry the interest. Because now what happens is you get a multiplier on that appreciation. And so whatever inflation ends up being, you could basically multiply that through your leverage factor as long as you can maintain cash flow liquidity. That's the big secret of uh, alternatives, at least the way that I see it. Well, let me add one more thing. So you're hitting on, uh, so I compare conventionals and alternatives across 13 categories, and you just hit one of them. I can go to a bank and borrow money to a to buy a piece of real estate. So uh -huh. I can get a $100,000 asset for $30,000. When you put yeah. $30,000 in the stock market, you get $30,000 worth of stuff. Yeah. A banker isn't going to give you any leverage. Yeah. And so that's a huge deal. And the other thing is real estate has built-in tax advantages called depreciation. Yeah. So not only you get to use leverage, but you get to you know deduct a portion of the profits you know every year for the next 27 and a half years. So okay. those two things, and another one that you can actually insure your asset against mm -hmm. loss. Yeah. You can't Correct. insure your stock market portfolio against loss in the traditional sense. So there's just all kinds yeah. of advantages. Yeah. Well, I was about to say that there are actually ways you can do what you're talking about. They're just expensive. So like, for example, if I want to insure my stock market portfolio against loss, I can do that with put options, but it's really expensive. Or for example, if I want to go into the stock market with leverage, I can usually get leverage from the broker, typically up to about 50% of my balance. The problem is that's very dangerous when you have a volatile instrument, because mm -hmm. if yep. the volatility goes against you, you can end up eating up a whole <laughs> lot of your equity balance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and how many, how many Americans are sophisticated enough to do the types of trading to yeah. basically ensure 
their asset, you know, not many in their stock market investment. Yes, correct. One of my friends and I, we have a conversation a lot of times because, and so uh, I actually met him because he was taking a finance information systems class that I was teaching at Portland State for their MBA program. And one of the things that we're talking about is people who just are exceptionally creative or are exceptionally skilled in say sciences or whatever. The things that derail a lot of these people's career paths is that in order to monetize whatever their skill is, a lot of times they have to learn finance and business, which is extremely counterintuitive and takes a really long time. And so you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is like, okay, there has to be a way to put a business model around helping people with these brilliant skill sets, not have to go and either get beat up in the marketplace or have to go and learn finance and business in order to try to monetize their ideas, just because it ends up creating a, like a lot of psychological trauma and stress, just because I think there's a very counterintuitive way that finances run. I think that is very difficult to understand if your brain is wired in a creative fashion. Right. Americans in general just don't get a lot of financial education. And, you know, even if I went out and got my MBA, yeah. I wouldn't have learned any of the things that yeah. I know that helped me create the yeah. wealth and cash passive income that I have. Yeah, correct. One of the things that, that I've noticed that is actually included in grad school and MBAs now that wasn't what I went through in the early 2000s is you do actually have training on options and derivatives, which I think is a positive step, but there's still very, very little on alternatives, particularly if you're talking about real asset alternatives, because it's like we were saying, you know, you know between your depreciation tax shield, you know, between your fixed rate financing, uh, your cash flow, and then your pacing with depreciation, and then ability to risk mitigate through insurance, you know, you have a pretty robust instrument. There are still risk factors, but you're able to cover a lot of the big ones. Yeah. I've got an example here. If you bought a single family rental, let's say some lower cost market in the United States, you went out and put $30,000 down or $20,000 yeah. down and you got $100,000. You got $100,000 single family rental and you rented that yeah. out and that house never appreciated in value and never yeah. did anything other than break even. So in other words, yeah. no positive cash flow in your pocket. The rate of return simply from the fact that somebody else paid off that yeah. mortgage over the next 30 years is a double digit return. I'm looking for the number here, but that's like exceeds uh, what you would get in the stock market merely by the fact that somebody else paid off that mortgage. And Correct. So well, and I think that's the thing is, yeah, you know, not only are you able, you know, with alternatives, are you able to get, are you able to attach fixed rate debt to it? And that, that's almost always self-liquidating fixed rate debt that, that is usually paid for by, rev, you know, by rents from a tenant. And so, yeah, so you really do have a beautiful situation where you don't necessarily need to get direct cash flow from the instrument itself in order to generate all of your turn. Well, they have multiple avenues and factors and dimensions of return, you know, which I think is one of the things that makes alternatives so powerful. Now, of course, I think the fact that they can't be standardized, I think is the reason why they haven't been publicly traded, packaged up by brokerage houses, and then pitched out to everybody else at inflated prices. Mm -hmm, right. I mean, you know, BlackRock has tried. We'll see how they do. <laughs> there are a number of platforms out there that are doing things, but I always look at those because I go, is this something like a REIT or are you really getting real ownership in a property? Because I don't remember which platform it is. I wouldn't mention the name, but all it is, it's a private REIT instead of a public REIT, yes. and which is a real estate investment trust. And all you're yeah. doing is buying private shares in a company that owns real estate. So 
your return is probably given to you on 1099, which means you don't actually get the real estate benefit, right? You don't get depreciation like you would if you got a K-1 if you were in a partnership or something like that. Exactly. Well, you know, because I think I've looked at a number of these too, but the thing I keep thinking is I'm like, I go, okay, so it's basically like, it's, you know, it's, as you said, it's like a private real estate investment trust. I might get a little higher return from them than this publicly traded, but they don't have anywhere near the ability of a public to raise capital. So that means if they ever get into trouble, they could get into a liquidity trap really fast. Whereas one of the things that you do at least get with a number of the public REITs now is that public REITs typically can raise capital when they need to. Now, for some odd reason, public REITs tend to make very poor investments. Like I think it's Simon Property Group owns like two thirds of the malls in the US. I don't understand why anybody who's been alive for the last 25 years thinks that (laughs) shopping malls (laughs) are going to be a value positive investment. But I don't know, that's where things are. You said something earlier in in your your two minute monologue there about- Yeah, my my, my opening rant. Yeah, that higher returns generally means higher risk. And to some degree, that's true. It's to some degree, it's not. And the you know, I would go back to the example of the average return, the S&P 500 over its history is nine point something percent. Yeah. And then people say, well, well, Chris, your stuff is risky. And so I have my primary investments are multifamily, you know, apartment mm-hmm. buildings uh, through syndications as a limited partner. And I haven't received an annual, an average annual return of less than 20% in those investments before taxes and inflation. And yeah. so it is the most you know, you can obviously get into a bad deal just like you could uh-huh. buy a bad stock, but it has just been the most solid 20 plus percent average annual return all day long and frankly less risky than none of the volatility yeah. that the stock market has. And so, just one of those statements that we all take, uh, you know, on this face value that, of course, if you're going to get better returns, you know, you're taking more risk, but it's not always the case. So, yeah. That's a really good point, especially if you're talking multifamilies. Say, you know, if you get a multifamily with say 50 or 100 units, you know, one of the things that that does is that, you know, unless you have, say, like a natural disaster, like an earthquake or a flood or something like that, generally speaking, you'll have very good cash flow stability just because you get the law of large numbers in play. You know, the Mm -hmm. problem you run into with single family residential investments is that, you know, you're either occupied or you're vacant. And, you know, so then, you know, you need to get about a portfolio of about somewhere between 15 and 30 before you can really get reliable cash flow stability from, from vacancy offsets. And so I think yeah. multifamilies do a good job of providing that. I think now the flip side is that your depreciation isn't quite as good. I think multifamilies depreciate on a 40-year time frame as opposed to a 27 and a half like residential. But still, tomato, tomato. <laughs> you know, you're talking about a slightly less efficient benefit when overall the vehicle is still completely sound. Well, with the tax law as it stands today, with bonus depreciation and tax segregation, I can Uh tell you that I have a situation where I made a $100,000 investment in an apartment building as a limited partner through a syndication. And my first year came back with over 100% depreciation loss. So I got a negative K-1 for $105,000 on my $100,000 investment, which means the next $105,000 of like-kind income or passive income yeah. is tax-free. I mean, and the bonus depreciation thing is changing, starting to phase yeah. out next year. 
but you've got so much of, of all that, not land and not building, but the, you know, the air conditioners and the, you know, and the blinds uh-huh. and the landscaping that can, that gets depreciated over, you know, five to seven years. So when you do yeah. that cost segregation, you're kind of accelerating a whole bunch of that. So I don't know what it works out to be on average, but we get really good bonus depreciation numbers on multifamily. Actually, that's a really good point because if you're talking about multifamily and commercial properties, you'll have a much higher percentage of your improvement value that will be cost segregation eligible. So yeah, so then you can push those into shorter depreciation schedules and you know recover your capital faster. You know, when you were talking about a single family being, you know, you're either occupied or you're not, and that's the one beautiful thing about these limited partners and syndications is like, let's say it would take me $50,000 to get into a single family rental as a down payment. And some syndicators will take as little as $50,000. Well, with my $50,000 investment, I might be part of a one or 200 unit apartment building. I get the economies of scale immediately with just one investment. And let's say that one happened to be in Arizona. Let's just pick the Phoenix Scottsdale area. And Mm -hmm. then the next time I did one, it was in Atlanta. So with $100,000, got a part of two large apartment buildings in two different markets. I mean, how think about what you would would have to do in, in the single family area to get those same kinds of not only economy scale, but the diversification. Yeah, no, well, geographically. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's a part of the thing is, yeah, if, if you're talking single family, you need in order to, to fully diversify, you need to scale up to quite a few properties, which of course is, I think, not only from a deal execution perspective, because of course, right, you know, you have to go through your purchasing escrow, all those types of, you know, inspection, all those processes too, but then you also have to figure out how to manage these things. And, you know, because of course, right, you know, you can hire a property manager, but anybody who has owned rental properties knows that just because you have a property manager doesn't mean that you don't have to manage the property. It means you could do it with less work, but if you don't pay attention to what your property manager is doing, there's a really good chance you're going to end up getting charged for a whole lot of stuff. Stuff. Yeah. I was looking at doing buying apartment buildings myself. And the question, because I've had the small single families yeah. and small multifamilies. Sure, that's you know, how a lot of people, that's how most people start. Yeah. And I managed them myself. So when I was started talking to people that were, you know, buying smaller apartment buildings and building a portfolio of that, yeah. I said, well, how many units do I need before I'm going to be a, the property management company? And the answer was, you know, somewhere in excess of 75 units. So until you yeah. have about 75 units, you're just always kind of fighting for the attention, you know, of the yeah. property manager. And uh, some of these syndicators have very large footprints in certain markets. And, you know, the trend is now you have a really good syndicator and they still have this, even though they command a lot of attention from the property management company, they still don't control that. So what they're doing now is many of the good ones are saying, okay, we're going to start our own property yeah. management company. So we control this thing, you know, from top yeah. to bottom, side to side, and can completely control the tenant experience, you know? Yeah. I think that would be a very positive development because yeah, the property management's a tough business, but there's a lot of variation in the quality oh, yeah. of providers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really, it's the key, you know, that'll yeah. make or break a deal, you know? And, yeah, Exactly. Uh, all right. Hey, Chris, it's been a wonderful conversation today. Uh, so uh, give out your website again. I'll have you do it so that you get it right. And uh, and give us one or two last thoughts to, uh, before we part for the day. Yeah. So the website is theprolificinvestor.net and you can go there and you'll see a picture of my book that came out last October, November called Get Off Your A Dollar Sign Dollar Sign and Manage Your Money Why You Need Alternative Investments. I never know what I could say on a particular <laughs> podcast. So uh, yeah, but I've got yeah. articles there. I've yeah, got PG-13 is there. fine. <laughs> so yeah, everything about me and the articles I write and the videos I do are at theprolificinvestor.net. 
And I would say people just got to have a, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time in world history when it's been so easy to learn something new and go in the opposite direction. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't have learned what I learned getting my MBA. I learned from listening to podcasts, reading Mm -hmm. books, you know, taking, going to seminars and taking classes and hiring mentors, but a whole bunch of that is free. So if this interests you at all, whether it's my website or my book, there are just tons of resources to help you move down that path. Outstanding. Chris, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Doug. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment, share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker in a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, The value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.